Good morning and welcome to Stories in Public Health. Uh, I'm here, th- I'm your host, Emily Dieter, and this morning I'm here with one of the advisors for our um, committee, um, Joe Koo. Hello, Emily. Hi. And we're in Double Bay this morning near the 4th International um, Health Reform Conference, which is being held nearby. And we're thrilled to introduce uh, Professor Judith Smith. And she is Director of Health Services Management Centre at the University of Birmingham. Um, She's got a long career in this field. She's been um, done a lot of lecturing and she was also um, the Director of Policy policy at the um, Nuffield Trust, which is an independent charitable health research foundation in London. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, Judith. We're so excited to have you. Good morning. It's good to be here. So, Joe, I might let you start. Do you have a first question? Um, I guess, yeah, a little, uh, be great to sort of start off about how did you get your start in the field of health services research. It's often a field that people don't directly go in from mm-hmm. um, university. They often have experience in health management or as a clinician. So I was um, all public health and then moving into that era. So I was wondering a little bit if you can talk about how you got your start and what motivated you to move into research in this area. Um, Well, I didn't uh, start in anything to do with health, actually. So um, my first degree was in modern languages, so in French language and literature. So something completely different. Um, But um, as I finished uh, my first degree at university and was thinking about what to do, I was very attracted to the public service um, and was thinking hard about what to do. I originally thought about social work, but the university career service um, actually suggested to me that I tended to like managing and organising things. Um, and pointed me in the direction of applying for um, public management training schemes, of which there are a a number in the UK. Um, And I applied to several, but was particularly attracted to the the National Health Service, the NHS Management Training Scheme, which is a a long-standing and highly respected graduate training programme. And I was successful in um, getting onto that scheme. So I started out effectively as as a health services manager Um, and spent eight years um, uh, working as a a health manager, obviously first of all on the management graduate training scheme and then in a range of hospital management posts. And then what, I guess, piqued your interest in moving from um, health service management into research? Yeah, well I was, um, um, at the time I would have been in my late 20s and there was a big push within the National Health Service to get more women into senior management okay. and particularly into chief executive posts and um, I was um, uh, given funding by what was then the NHS Women's Unit um, to access a whole range of development and uh, executive coaching and career support and uh, to cut a long story short that uh, career development led me to think that actually what I was really interested in was perhaps uh, sort of policy and academic work. Um, At that time I was thinking alongside management actually um, and I managed to negotiate a secondment um, to the Health Services Management Centre at the University of Birmingham uh, just at the time that Professor Chris Hamm had moved to Birmingham and was sort of really breathing new life into the the Health Services Management Centre. Um, He's now the Chief Executive of the the King's Fund uh, in London. So I went initially for a a one-year secondment. It was just the time when um, Margaret Thatcher's reforms of the NHS were in full flow and uh, the internal market was being put in place. So the opportunity to evaluate some of those reforms was very exciting. Um, And um, so, yeah, I went on secondment for a year, um, but quite quickly after moving there, 
was really enjoying the research and policy analysis work and then was asked if I'd like to apply for a, a permanent post and uh, the rest as they say is history. So you moved into research and then decided to do a PhD and formalise and the education and that sort of thing? The PhD came a bit later actually. I mean, I, I first of all um, got stuck into doing lots of research because it was quite a surprise I suppose um, I mean, when you move sideways or you move into a different career, of course, in one sense, you know, I'd been senior in the health service, I'd been managing a, a women's and children's hospital in the last job I'd done in the NHS. And then to move into academia and have to start again, you know, to have to learn research skills, to learn to lecture, to teach, to, you know, um, be developed, that, that, that took a while, and then to gain experience. Um, and then I, I started out on my PhD, well, actually, first of all, I did a master's, I did a, an MBA. Um, I'd started that while I was in the health service and I wanted to see that through and I'm really glad I did um, and that took several years because I did that part-time and then I got stuck in with my PhD probably I'd have definitely been well into my 30s by the time I did that I was also at the same time having children so uh, which is another reason why the PhD took a, a while to complete. That sounds very busy. So this is really just a personal question for, from something I struggle with when you talk about moving from a very senior old not that I've experienced in that but then having to learn things anew. Yeah. Um, how did you cope with that and did you make sort of um, any sort of mistakes or were there challenges in that because I really struggle when things don't go perfectly like if a lecture I do doesn't go perfectly uh, so I guess I'm just wondering if you have any tips around how to navigate when you're really in a, a big learning curve I think um, one of my main tips would be I mean working for someone you think is excellent and surrounding yourself self as far as possible by excellent colleagues is really important yeah. I think actually I think who you work for is just critical and, and remains so throughout your career but I think also, particularly if you're shifting sector, to um, it's taking time to sort of get to know it. But, but well, I say taking time. Sometimes you've got to be quite quick about that. But there are different ways you can can do that. So you can get yourself a mentor or mentors. I think that's vital, really, having people who can just steer you uh, or who you can uh, go to to sound things out. Um, I'm a great believer in coaching. I continue to access executive coaching now. 25 years after I first started out on that as I as I mentioned uh, earlier but I think also um, certainly looking back at when I moved into academia you know I went on the university's courses on research methods and uh, its teacher training programs and things like that you know to just get yourself as skilled up as possible I think mm -hmm. when you're moving sector um, and I think lots of us are perfectionists you're sort of implying that well you know we, we want to do everything right but uh, I think learning that you're going to make mistakes along the way um, is actually just part of it, really. Um, but yeah, surrounding yourself by ex excellent people, and also being prepared to m to move on if you're not if people aren't the right ones. Mm, that's a with. big one. Yeah, that's definitely a theme that I've heard from other people. That that's it is. I think we're scared yeah. of that unknown um, sometimes. So people might stay places that yeah. aren't necessarily right for a bit longer than they yeah. perhaps in hindsight would have liked to. Excellent. Um, well, I was just thinking because this the research you do is a bit different to a lot of the public health research that we usually talk to people mm -hmm. about. So I was wondering if you could maybe, just for people who don't know, explain to us a little bit what health services research entails. Is it evaluations? Is, you know, you've done some of those, but what kind of methodologies you use and what are the kind of topics that you're covering? Well, I guess, I mean, health services research um, is in one sense where a we're quite a broad church, uh, 
a community that you know encompasses health economics, statistics, epidemiology, organisational research, management research, policy research. Um, and I think I mean you have the Health Services Research Association of Australia and New Zealand. I know that uh, of which I'm a member, uh, which um, you know draws together that community here, just as we have Health Services Research UK. Um, but I think you know we are a relatively new discipline. I mean, certainly in the UK, our, our um, society has been together for about. 15 years, so I, th- I think yours is similar, 15 years. Yeah. It was the 10th um, conference, yeah, conference yeah, last really year. Thanks. So, I, yes. I think you were ahead of us actually in getting us a society. <laughs> so maybe two yeah. decades. But um, in terms of m- my own research, um, I'm effectively, I guess I'm a, a health organisation researcher or a health policy researcher. Um, the methods I use, I'm a largely qualitative um, researcher, so um, I've undertaken many uh, policy and organisational evaluation studies over the years of things like um, uh, new uh, approaches to organising and managing primary care, that's a particular interest of mine. I've also done a lot of research into health purchasing and commissioning, um, so kind of the funding side side of health. Um, More recently I've done a lot of work on long-term conditions or integrated care as it's often uh, described. Um, and I guess the other area that I'm interested in is the governance of healthcare, uh, which was, um, and I got very interested in that after being part of a national uh, public inquiry into um, what's called the Francis Inquiry into a, a big scandal that took place in a, a hospital in the UK. So that got me, partic- and I was involved with the inquiry team for three years. So that got me very interested in issues of quality, safety, and governance. Yeah. And so are you working on anything specifically in that area at the moment? The quality and safety. Yeah, um, the um, I mean now as the um, the head of a large university <laughs> de- department, uh, I spend a lot of my time on uh, uh, management and, uh, and leadership of that department and of my team. There's about fifty, so I've got a, a lot to do anyway. Yeah. But my main research interests now are um, well, I've I'm the uh, just newly been appointed as the director of a big national um, research centre. It's a rapid evaluation centre for the National Institute of Health Research. That's just starting on the 1st of April this year. Yeah, sounds amazing. So I'll be leading that. But in terms of actual personal research interests within that, around governance and quality and safety that we're asking, we've just completed uh, a study of how hospital boards responded to the Francis inquiry, the, the public inquiry I mentioned. So been looking at the way in which they've um, used their their leadership role as, as hospital boards to try and improve quality and safety in organisations. So I've just published that along along with Manchester University. Oh, that's fantastic. We'll have to put the link up with the interview and the website. Jo? One of the things I guess that strikes me when you're talking about uh, a lot of the work that you do in health policy is that it's inherently political as well and I guess um, that's something that researchers particularly early career researchers really struggle with Mm. so I guess did you have any tips about um, I guess navigating sometimes the politics in your work but also being um, an advocate to get your research across because I think that that's something that a lot of researchers find really challenging. Yeah that's really interesting you asked that because um, I mean, certainly in our context in the UK, there's increasing interest in research impact, and mm. I think it's the Here same. Here too, yes, very much well. so. so. Yeah, um, and um, there's lots of different ways you can think about that and what we mean by impact. But clearly, in organisation and policy research, we are interested in policy impact. 
So it gets you into the whole area of how do you communicate your research to mm. those who've got influence in terms of decision making, making policy, implementing policy. Um, and also what, but critically, what is it that they, policymakers, are looking for from us as researchers? Mm. Um, and it's, it's actually the passion that burns for me, this whole um, bridging the worlds of, I'd, I'd actually say, um, policy management and practice. Um, in fact, my own inaugural lecture, you give an inaugural lecture in the UK when you become a professor at a public lecture. Oh, that's cool. And mine was called Mind the Gap, um, um, bridging the gap between health management and practice, because I have a view that health management is particularly poor at using evidence, actually, um, perhaps mm -hmm. more so than, than um, health, health policy. So, so just going back to your question about sort yeah. of tips um, around that, I would say um, for researchers... Because we tend to be cautious researchers, we're cautious creatures. Yeah, you know, we're we sure always, are. <laughs> back to your point about perfection, you know, we're always wanting, we're honing and honing the paper, aren't we, or the results, or they you know, want to get them better and better. But um, you've actually got to cut and run at some point, I think, uh, with research. And policymakers and indeed managers, they, um, they want evidence, but they're not good. They're not going to read most of them, our long academic, well, certainly not going to read our long research reports. And they probably haven't got time to read our academic papers. We've just got to be absolutely realistic about that. And there's one who's worked as a manager, and actually I've had some experience of, of working in, in um, policy and government as well. Um, things just move too quickly. And uh, I, I myself, um, when um, working in London in, in health um, policy research, I've had experience of being uh, asked to give advice and you may only have a few minutes to give your, your advice. Yeah. You know, what, what's the evidence on integrated care? You've got to set now. Or if you're, if you're appearing for a parliamentary select committee in government, again, you've got to think on your feet and, and, and give that advice quickly. So how do you do that? Well, I think there's um, two things. One is, I think, trying to walk in the shoes of the policymakers. Mm. So what is it what are the questions they want answering? Mm. What are their preoccupations at the moment? So before you've got, uh, whether it's an opportunity you're going to be um, giving evidence orally or if they've asked for a report, trying to find out what are the questions that mm. they want answering. So that, that's critical. And then, obviously, I'll say obviously, but you know, marshal your evidence, marshal the facts. Um, and you've got to be absolutely clear about what where there is evidence but if there isn't you've got to be honest and say there isn't but and i think the other thing and again this is difficult for researchers for all of us sometimes you've got to be bold they don't want you to just sit on the fence mm. it could be this it could be that oh i don't know more uh, more, more research, research is needed. <laughs> no 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 that is just so profoundly irritating yeah <laughs> okay we won't say that anymore. No, no, no. well sometimes more research is needed but um <laughs> but i think what what they are looking for is to you know to perhaps say well, let's stick with the example of integrated care to say, actually, the evidence base at the moment says that uh, attempts to coordinate care typically are appreciated by service users and carers, but we do not at the moment have uh, significant evidence to suggest it will save money. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, so sometimes that's how you've got to sum up your evidence, yeah, because they might be, now, they don't always want just simple messages because policymakers are incredibly clever people, most of them, and civil servants. They, they can deal with complexity, but they do want you to be able to get to the nub of the matter. Yes. Yeah. And to nail it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or I'll say sometimes just to say, actually, we don't know. Can I ask just a question sort of 
before that? How, how do you get their attention in the first place? Yeah, no, again, really good point. One of the great things now about social media and the internet and all the different modes we have is that I think it, it is easier now to get your work out there. But on mm. the other hand, there are so many channels, you have got to be strategic about it. But I think part of that's being clear about what one's interests are and then so you know being clear that however it is how you're using whether it's twitter or linkedin or your your university website whatever it is you know uh, really having your keywords sorted out you know what i mean your, mm. your interests clear so if someone's looking if they're, if they're googling on a particular topic your work's going to come up that's part of it so thinking about your presence yes and having that very up to date thinking about how you use, uh, I say, whether it's Twitter or whichever the, mm. the particular channel is. And I think Twitter is a good one for, for policy and academic circles. Yeah. Um, my teenagers tell me it's for, it's for old people at work, so there you go. <laughs> 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 that certainly covers me, I'm not saying about myself. But, um, but also, if, well, say in, in the UK at the moment, because we're just emerging from a hard winter, there's been lots of talk in the media about emergency departments, ED, mm, and the yeah. pressure on them, and we what, the could we, yeah. Yeah, what could we turn to uh, resolve it. Well, if you're a researcher who's doing research into what could be to do with emergency care or access to emergency care, there's something then about, you may have written a report two years ago on it, but you might want to then write a new blog about it, yeah. get into the conversation, because mm. you have the conversation yeah. straight yeah. as well. So you know, because um, that's a great way, I think, of getting the work out there again. And not, and also not to be a shade, uh, what's the word, cautious sometimes, in that you might want to actually e- email it in or in some ways, you know, try and put it in front of policymakers. And that's where, again, I think the, the sort of things like the conversation, you, uh, you know, write, or writing another blog or even tweeting about your work again mm-hmm. is, is, is quite a powerful way of quickly gaining attention but also finding out who is the key civil servant or policy maker working on this at the moment or, or, or and the other thing is media outlets one of the advantages for us of the 24-7 media is they're constantly looking for things to populate mm. the media with you know? so um, not all academics feel very confident about that so again um, you know may need to get some training in kind of not only training in terms of media speaking to the media but actually, because it's very different to write for the conversation, to mm. write blogs, to write web copy, to tweet effectively, than it is to write a stunning paper for the New England Journal of Medicine or wherever it may be. Yeah, that, that's sorry, that's just such a good answer. Thank you. Like, that's all really advice, like, you know, really applicable things I can do, go out and actually do. And there's just some things in there that I hadn't thought about. Like, I tweet, but I've never thought about what my actual online presence is or that yeah that was giving me a lot to think about thank you <laughs> well I, I mean I, I having worked in a, a research foundation when I worked at the Nuffield Trust in London we had quite a significant communications comms department and I learned a lot from them about uh, about all of that but also even about how to tweet there's a there's quite a lot to learn about really? how to use things like twitter to use it effectively so um, i clearly need to do more research as a researcher <laughs> <laughs> and you tweet a lot so we'll put put your handle handle that's the right word yes. isn't it so tech savvy <laughs> <laughs> we'll also put a link up you're young that's twitter. why i'm like as much as me that's right um, i think your answer also sort of talked about another question that I had was that you've sort of actively sought different opportunities you, you moved into academia but also have sort of 
not well moved out of it again in working in a, at the Nuffield Trust, which is a research foundation as the director of policy. I guess it would be great to hear a little bit about managing those transitions and I guess why you first sought out those opportunities or, or why you took it up, but also some of the challenges in managing mm-hmm. those transi- transitions in terms of being someone that can span boundaries. It obviously has advantages, but also can be challenging to navigate. Yeah. Being a boundary spanner is great in lots of ways, but it's also an uncomfortable place to be because in one sense you can end up not feeling proper in any, you know, am I a proper academic, you know, or then perhaps I don't really belong to health management anymore, or am I really in policy circles? The answer is to some extent in all of them and sometimes it can feel, you can feel a bit of an outsider or not not quite belonging and that, yeah, so it, it is uncomfortable at times. I think that's, that's a part of it. But the other side to it is, I said that the passion that burns for me is this bringing together of research and policy and practice. Well, there's something for me about then needing to walk the talk and inhabit those different worlds. And I think some of it's about then thinking about the opportunities that you take up, but also those that you say no to. Because as you get more senior, I mean, one of the nice things is lots of people want your time and they they want you to be on certain committees or you know on, on national bodies and things like that but you have to be really strategic about how you use your time because that becomes your most precious and yet scarce commodity but I've tried to sort of negotiate that in terms of this issue of the worlds I inhabit so for example yes in one sense I've, I've returned to academia now and I'm a professor and that that feels really good and uh, uh, important but at the same time I'm on the board of um, a hospital trust in in Birmingham of the Birmingham Women's and Children's Trust which includes the Women's Hospital and Children's Hospital and why do I do that well I do it because it keeps me in the health service it I, you know it's a formal governance you know responsible position but it keeps me connected with what's happening in terms of mm. policy and practice. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. And yet, at the same time, I'm on the board of Health Services Research UK because I want to kind of belong to the the, uh, the health uh, research community. And I'm also on um, one of the National Institute of Health Research funding panels. That keeps me connected with sort of research funding. So it's... Uh, but these things shift over time. You know, when my time comes to a, an end as a board member on the Women's and Children's Trust, because that's a, a sort of time-limited post... What will I do next? I don't know. Maybe I'll seek something else out again for me in London to keep me connected back into the policy community in, in the capital. Yeah. So, so you can. I think what I'm saying is you can have your core job, but you can often keep yourself connected with the broader community or communities by some of the other decisions you make about how you use your time. Yeah. I think we've been talking about that a lot recently. Here at Stories of Public Health, we're very much about trying to learn about what other people are doing and yeah. increasing those networks. But I'd never thought about it in terms of being strategic. I just think everyone's lovely and want to make friends with everyone. Well, I think it's also, uh, when, you're, when you're perhaps earlier in your career, it's thinking, it's sometimes taking time to think, this is where a coach can be really helpful, I think, or indeed yeah. a mentor. One example might be research funding. You might, you know, you know you need to be... I don't know, perhaps get, getting more of those larger grants. Well, first of all, earlier on, you might put yourself forward to be a peer reviewer of proposals because people can never find enough people yeah. to peer review proposals or, or indeed papers. So you gain that experience. Then later on, that might position you well to be on an actual funding board to yeah. make those decisions. So that makes sense. So it's trying to 
think ahead. What's the thing that's going to help me as I, as I go forward and do that? But it's also being ready sometimes to say no to things. And because I think for all of us, and actually, I mean, you said something about being nice. Well, I'm going to make a sweeping generalisation now, but women often want to be nice yeah. and do the right thing. But sometimes you just have to say no to it. You know, if you keep being asked to sit mm. on certain sort of panels or to, um, you know, even for myself, I get asked a lot to sit on recruitment panels at the university or other universities because I often want senior women to do it. I say no to a lot of them because I, mm. if I spend all my time doing that, I won't be on research funding panels or I won't be on the board of a, a health trust or I won't be on a certain national body I want to be on. So you've got to be strategic in those ways as well. Yeah, so everything comes at the expense of, of something else. It does, and it's just being conscious of, if you're thinking about your career, it's what is it that matters to you and the work you're going to do, and to try, if you do need to keep it focused, you can't, yeah. you know, none of us can do everything, so. Yeah, I, I struggle with that as well, I want to do everything, and it's just not possible. Um, you've mentioned it's a marathon, not a sprint <laughs> career, though, I'll, I'll print that out and put it on my desk. <laughs> More of a marathon for all of you, you have to work a very long time, I think. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You've mentioned a few times of mentorship. So if someone was looking yeah. for a mentor, like that, I can imagine that might be a scary thing or a bit nerve-wracking for people. What would your recommendations be in terms of people looking for a mentor and how they would approach that person? Well, a lot of organisations have formal mentorship mm. schemes now. I think a lot of universities do, a yeah. lot of health organisations. Public health in the UK is now based in um, local councils, in municipalities. And again, I think a lot of those would have mentorship schemes. So that might be one route to do it. Another way of thinking about it is to is to look around sometimes in your working world and think, what is it I'm wanting to do, I don't know, say in the next five years? Where is it I'm wanting to go? And therefore, who, when I look around, whether it's at conferences or at meetings I go to, who do I think has got something to offer me? You know, who, who would I, not exactly like to be, but you know, who... What, what skills is it they've got or what doors might they open for me so I don't know if you were thinking you it could be as practical as you 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 were going to move to a certain city and you want want to be able to get a, a job there in due course well you might want to approach someone who who works in that place mm. but you also might be in a certain branch of um, public health or health research and be interested in moving into a different one you might have a lot of work in community and primary health care services and are going to move into I don't know, health protection or something mm. different well in that case you might want to find someone who's fairly senior and expert in health protection do you see what I mean yeah. to, to ask them to be the mentor because I think mentors people often have them for a well, some, a, a relative short to medium term um, purpose perhaps not quite so long term so they might be you know mentor for a while and then you might want a, a, a different one mm. and I think there's the other thing is to say that mentorship is different from coaching I think they, they are quite different mm. they're, they're both important but they are I think the mentor is more about someone who might open doors for you might share experience or yeah yeah Excellent. I'm just conscious of time. We've only got a few more minutes. Uh-huh. Joe, do you want one more question? No, I think I'm okay. Oh, excellent. Okay, I have two last ones. Are there any other big messages that you sort of would like to get out to young researchers or people new to the field? Anything you might say to your younger self or, I don't know, any final messages? I've gained most when I've done, when I've taken decisions where people said, oh, that's a brave decision, by which they mean <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I were you. So, you know, when I moved out of the health service into academia, I think people thought I was fairly crazy. You know, mm. I took a pay cut to do it. It was quite a risk. And yeah, uh, uh, but likewise, when I, 
actually went and worked in New Zealand for two years, which again, and you know, took the family. My husband gave up his job to go and do that. Again, people thought that was probably brave. Literally the other side of the world. <laughs> yes, that's right. It was Australia. She probably think it's particularly brave. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but we gained enormously from that as a family, and I gained uh, professionally as well. And then, you know, mo- moving back to London when we uh, came back from New Zealand to uh, work uh, in a health research foundation, but then to move out of London, you know, back into academia. Now, uh, those decisions were not easy to reach. The job opportunities were not easy to negotiate or to to obtain in almost all cases, and often felt uncomfortable and quite difficult at the time. But I said, they're the ones when I look back where overall I've really gained lots. And I think it goes back to that point about surrounding yourself with good mentors, good coaching. Actually, in my case, having fantastic support, actually, from my husband and family and colleagues and friends. And we haven't talked about that much, but actually you can't get away from the fact. And particularly if you're going to have a family alongside your, your work and career, you do need really good support and you have to negotiate that and compromises will be made by either you or your partner or both of you at different times. So I guess that's just the other the other thing to say. So That is amazing advice. Actually fits into my goals for the year. So on my plan um, that I have with my mentor, I've put learn to lean into discomfort because it's usually those big ah, things that scare me that there's a yes. lot of value in. So, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I'm on the right track. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's easier said than done, leaning into discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> and one final question that we like to ask people, is there any kind of book or if it could be a movie, something that you've read or seen that's really inspired you or changed the way you've thought about the world that you could recommend to other people? Two thoughts here. One is that I mentioned right at the start of our discussion that my first degree was in French, language and literature. I spent a lot of time studying the work of Simone de Beauvoir and um, I think her kind of feminist thinking does continue to inspire and guide me. You know, she was a, a woman completely in a man's world of, of, of European philosophy and yet had a, had a great influence and yet lived a, a very authentic life and I mean authentic in sort of philosophical terms. So I think she, that, that she continues to in, inspire me. But the other one is uh, Rosabeth Moss Cantor, who's an American uh, academic. Mm. She's well worth following on Twitter. Mm-hmm. She uh, wrote, or she's written a number of books, um, typically about public management. But the one that inspired me, my PhD was on women chief executives in the health service in the UK. And um, her work quite significantly influenced some of my PhD studies. There's a book called Men and Women of the Corporation. It's right back from the 1970s. But uh, Moss Cantor, she, she's, she was probably one of the first to really write about those different roles that uh, men and women have at work, but also to explore the, what it means for, for their family and their wider uh, life. So uh, yeah, Moss Cantor. And I did hear her speak live a long time ago at a, at a conference when I was still a health manager actually. And I think that was when she'd just written a book called, I think something like When Giants Start to Dance or something like that. I can't remember the exact title of the book, but that's about public managers. So so yes, Moss Cantor's work I would commend to you and follow her on Twitter because she also 
comes up with great links to articles even now. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> she must be getting yeah. on a bit. Yeah. She's quite, so, so. She sounds very much in line yeah. with our values, yeah. so we'll definitely um, put this enlisted. We can start following her on Twitter. Yes. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been, I can't describe what a pleasure. Um, yeah, I just feel really inspired. And thank you so much, Joe, for helping me interview today. I really oh, appreciate no it. <laughs> um, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next time on Stories in Public Health.